Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church in New Knoxville. Uh, this morning we're blessed to have the bell choir offer up our prelude today, so I invite you to turn your attention to the bell choir.
wonderful to see everybody here this morning. Thank God and praise Him for all the great weather we've had for the first week of October. Uh, what a what a joy it is to still enjoy them summertime temperatures. A few announcements this morning. The flowers on the altar today are in honor of Dorothy Preter, who will celebrate her 98th birthday on February or on Friday, October 15th. Happy birthday to Dorothy. We uh, also can wel welcome this morning our guest organist, Connie O'Neill, who uh, stepped in to help us out this morning with playing. Thanks, Connie. Uh, on a sad note, uh, Judy Holscher passed away this morning. Um, please pray for the peace, comfort, and strength for Jerry and their entire family during this time. No funeral arrangements have been made yet at this time. October is also Pastor Appreciation Month. We are blessed to have great pastors here at First Church. Please take a moment to thank both Pastor Joel and Pastor Tori and the loved ones in their lives who also serve in ministry through their support, love, and sacrifice. Thank you to Pastor Joel and his wife, Allie, and to Pastor Tori and her husband, Jake. And Stan, you'd like to come forward? Good morning. As Dave said, uh, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I'd like to ask both of you to step forward, please. Uh, on behalf of all of us here at First Church, we'd just like to extend a sincere thank you and appreciation for all that you do. Um, we appreciate your dedication, your leadership, and your service to First Church. Um, as well as your families. I know there's a lot of, it's a 24-7 job, both of you have, and uh, we appreciate you and your families for doing that. So please uh, give these two a round of applause, if you would, please. Now, if those who are able to stand and join me in the call to worship, Loving God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank and praise you for raising Jesus from the dead, the firstfruits of your new creation, and for sending your spirit that we too may have new life in Christ. And thank you for giving us your spirit. We thank and praise you for the power and promise of your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in all our ways. Help us live in accordance with your spirit, setting our minds on what the spirit desires, so that we may joyfully love a live in Christ. Thank you for giving us your spirit. We thank and praise you that the spirit testifies to us that we are your children and that through the spirit we can approach you in confidence as our compassionate father. Thank you as co-heirs with Christ we will share in his glory. Comfort us with the knowledge that your spirit also helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us according to your will. Thank you for giving us your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please remain standing and join us in the singing of our first hymn, number 43, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
be seated. I'd like to invite all the children down for a children's chat. ever slept over at like your grandparents house or a friend's house before yeah okay so did any of you at some point during the night or maybe the weekends did any of you begin to maybe miss your mom and dad maybe just a little bit no not at all (laughs) well then you're very brave Um, so do any of you ever take something with you when you go and spend the night at someone's house what is it Chips. You're what? A stuffed animal. So you have chips. You have a stuffed animal. Both comfort items, right? (laughs) So um, we all have things that comfort us, right? We all have things that maybe we've slept with. We have one right now. Um, And this guy, I got this guy 27 years ago. My grandparents gave him to me. His name is Roland. And when I was your age, I would go and spend the night at my friend's houses. And they would, and I would usually end up getting scared at some point. And I would always take this guy along with me because he always reminded me of home. He always reminded me of my parents and, you know, all that and all the good memories of home. Um, And so I would bring him along with me just as a comfort, right? Um, And did you know that Jesus did something like that for us before he left? It's kind of, kind of cool. So Jesus, before he died, he told the disciples that he was going to send a helper, okay? Does anybody know who he sent? The Holy Spirit, yes, absolutely. And so Jesus said that even though he was going to be physically gone, disciples and us, we would never be alone because he was going to send his spirit to comfort and to guide us. He said in John 14, 15 through 17, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, so the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world, the world cannot accept him because he neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So this message was just not, not just for the disciples. It was for us, too, because the Holy Spirit helps us to help guide us. He comforts us, kind of like our stuffed animals do when we're afraid or we just need some, you know, we, we need some reassurance. He helps us to pray, and he helps connect us to God. And where does the Holy Spirit live? In God? In our hearts. Yes, anybody who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So he's always with us. That's pretty cool, right? He helps us to understand God's word, to love people even when we don't really want to. He helps us to be obedient to God, which sometimes being obedient to God means that we have to listen to our mom and dad and do things that they ask us to do even when we don't want to. And he helps us to show love to people and show Christ's love to those all around us. So, you know, it's really cool. I think that's really cool about Jesus is he never leaves us alone. And that's something that I want you guys to remember is that no matter what, if you believe in Jesus, you are never, ever alone. It's really cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you didn't want us to be alone, that you sent your Holy Spirit to guide us and to be with us and to comfort us no matter what we go through in life. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your Spirit and his role in our lives and that he lives inside all believers. We love you and we just thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. 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 Thanks, Tori. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. Our offering this morning is to support the Gideons of Auglaise County. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Gideons' work, they, they are a, a group of, of businessmen and, men and professional men that, that, that support the, the sharing of God's Word in all sorts of different contexts. Uh, speaking of staying over the night places, if you've ever been in a hotel, right, and open the night side, night, the, the stand next to the bed, your chances are you found a Gideon Bible in there. That's the kind of ministry they do. They very much value God's Word. And we are supporting them today with the offering so they can continue to share God's word um, all over the world. So if, as the deacons come forward to collect the offering, that is what our, that is going to support this day. And then we have the choir here once again to bless us with the offertory music.
Amen. Thank you, choir. What a beautiful song for the offertory this morning. It's a great reminder that that God desires all of us, right? Offering is just one way that we can give back to God, a small way that we can honor Him and worship Him through the resources that He's blessed us with. But what a great reminder that that truly worshiping God is more than just giving back financially, but it's, it's giving of our entire selves and surrendering all to Him. What a, what a great reminder on this day. Let's continue to stand, if you're able, and worship Him by singing our next hymn. It's number 29, Glorify Thy Name. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that your name is being glorified here this day through our, through our praise and song and prayer and, and, of course, in the reading and studying of your word. We ask that your name would be glorified here in this place um, for the, within the, in those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. And, of course, Lord, more than just on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week, wherever we find ourselves this day and in the days to come, we ask that you would be glorified in our words, our thoughts, our actions, and through our entire lives, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you. Lord, you are worthy of our praise because of all of who you are and all of what you've done for us. Lord God, you are a good and righteous and just and holy God, and you are a loving Father who has provided a way for us to be part of your family. Lord, left to our own devices, we would have no hope, but we thank you that in you and in what your son Jesus Christ has done for us and what your Holy Spirit has, has worked in our hearts and our minds, we can know you and be in a, re, in a relationship with you, that we can have our sins forgiven and, and be brought near, brought into your family and your kingdom. Lord God, we acknowledge that it is all because of you that that is true. We come here this morning, whether in person or, or, or listening, Lord, through one of those other means, we are here today because of you, Lord. And it is your, uh, your, your presence here, your spirit with us that, that brings us together and draws us together as one body, as one family, 
Uh, no, matter, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've gone through this week, you are the one that brings us here now, and it is in your name that we worship you today. Lord God, we ask, knowing all of those things to be true, we ask for you to work in and through these situations that are represented in our prayers and concerns list. Lord, you know exactly what each person and and each family there needs. We especially pray today for for the family of Judy Holster. We pray for Jerry and their entire family as they uh, they mourn the loss of a dearly loved individual. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit, the spirit of all comfort, the spirit of peace would be with them and guide them through this time. We also pray for others that have lost loved ones recently. And we pray, Lord, that, that all, in all these things, in all these situations, even, on, even in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we'll be, we'll be encouraged and strengthened by your promises and the hope that you provide. Lord, we also pray for those in authority as your word calls us to do. And so we pray, Lord, for our local governments this time. We thank you for um, our, our county level and, and, and city and village level governments and all those that are in those positions of leadership. We thank you for their, their time and their service. And we ask you, Lord, for wisdom and guidance in their lives as they lead uh, in very important areas. Uh, we also ask for, for prayers for the leadership of the local church. We thank you this day for our elders and pray for your continued guidance in their lives as they, as they step in as spiritual leaders, Lord, of this church family and ask for your continued guidance in all things as they, as they set an example and lead us here at First Church. Uh, we thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And our second scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. Now they were set. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts from Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Maria. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. Uh, we thank you that it is a light for our feet together and study it today, that you would, yet your spirit would illumine our minds and hearts to what you have to say to us. May you give me words to speak that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So today we're going to be continuing on uh, through, through our study of the, the first church faith statement, and we are on the section number five, we believe in God, the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to, just as I've done in other weeks, I'm going to start by reading that section for us, and then we're going to jump right into scripture, uh, as there's a lot to cover today. So that from the faith statement, section five, it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Beginning at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit permanently lives in all born-again believers and enables them to know, serve, and live for Christ. The Holy Spirit securely seals the believer for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, gives believers gifts to be used for the edification of the church, and helps us to live more like Christ by producing spiritual fruit and good works. Now, this is a great topic for us to be studying today. We did actually spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit around Pentecost, but this is always a good refresher because this is one of those areas along with the Trinity, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, that that is maybe more difficult for us to wrap our minds around or understand. In fact, a study was just put out recently um, through the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University that showed that a a lot of self-identified Christians have some have some thoroughly unbiblical beliefs even on basic uh even on basic issues of theology that was what the report said and again it's important to know that these are you know self-identified christians you know this that is often left up to interpretation so so take these stats with a a grain of salt but uh 69 percent of those they surveyed self-identified as christians and then within that group, there were like 35% that said they were born again, 28% identified themselves as evangelicals. And then they kind of broke that down on beliefs, even to the point of 6% of the people they survi- surveyed identified as integrated disciples, which would be people that would, you know, talk about attending church regularly, studying their Bible regularly, being actively involved in, in a local church. So that's who they would consider in this survey, integrated disciples. And among those different groups... Now, here's the interesting thing. Among those groups, 69% who claimed to be Christian, 58% of those people did not believe the Holy Spirit was a real living being, but rather a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. And 62% of those who identified as born-again Christians believed the same thing. And even 40% of that smaller group, that 6% that they called integrated disciples, 40% of that group also did not believe that the Holy Spirit was a real living being, but rather just a symbol of God's presence and power and authority. And so that, that survey there just reminded me again of how important it is for us to, to be grounded in God's word and to, and to focus on, on stuff like this because it's really important that we are grounded in the truth and don't get our ideas about, say, who the Holy Spirit is or other, even other important matters of our faith from from other sources we need to make sure we are grounded in god's word you know of all the as i said of all the areas we've covered so far the doctrine of the holy spirit and in a related way the trinity are probably the most difficult for us to grasp and understand they're they're difficult to wrap their minds around and understandably so and if that's true then we are in good company because the believers in the church in Corinth had a hard time understanding the Holy Spirit too. And that's why Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, he talked all about the Holy Spirit. And in that passage, he starts by saying, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant, or sometimes it says uninformed, about the matters of the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of the Spirit. Right? They were uninformed. They were ignorant in certain ways. And sometimes so are we, not of our own doing, but because sometimes we... we don't give the Holy Spirit the attention and focus that he deserves. Now, the Bible itself does not clearly develop the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to the same extent that it does the Father and the Son. And so it's important for us to recognize that. There's, there's certain passages that we can point to in Scripture about God the Father and about God the Son that are very clear-cut, straightforward statements about who they are and what they've done for us. There's maybe less of those sorts of statements, clear pronunciations of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. But that doesn't mean there isn't evidence in Scripture of who the Holy Spirit is and what he's done for us. It just takes maybe a little bit more work to piece those things together. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 5, you know, there's this story that, that 
seems a little odd <laughs> and, and maybe seems out of place. Maybe you're familiar with it. And it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, these two, these two members of the early church. They, they sold some of their property and they decided to give that gift to God to, through the church, you know, to be used by the early church to help those in need and advance the ministry. But the problem was that they lied about how much they were giving. And so they came to the apostles, and particularly Peter, and they offered up this gift. And they said, we sold this land, and we were giving everything that we've got from the sale of this land to the church. But Peter knew through you know, the, the, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit that they were lying to them. And so, so in that story, which is about something obviously very different than our, what our focus is today, Peter says this in verse 3. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in the very next verse, in verse 4, he says, um, you've not lied to human beings, but to God. So do you see what he's doing there? There's this story about a completely different topic there, but, but Peter in that statement is putting the Holy Spirit and God on the same level. He's equating the Holy Spirit with the God of the Bible that we worship. And so while it's not a straightforward statement that the Holy Spirit is God or the Holy Spirit is divine, we can piece that information together. A similar passage and a very much more familiar one is Matthew 28:19, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission, right? And he says to go out into all nations and do what? To, to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so in the same way, it's a, it's a passage about Jesus' command for us to go and be disciple makers. But we see there once again that the Holy Spirit is put on the same level as God the Father and God the Son. And so we're going to be doing that a little bit today, kind of piecing a few, few bits of information together to get a, give us a bigger and a better understanding of who God is and particularly who the Holy Spirit is. You see, on, the, on one level, he is God, just as the Father is God and just as the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God as well. He's the third member, third person of the Trinity. But he also has a very distinct way in the way that, distinct role in the way that he relates to the world, right? We've talked about this the last few weeks, right? Everything is done according to the will of the Father and is accomplished through the work of the Son. And today we're going to talk about how that work is then applied to our own lives, through the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actively works in the world, particularly in and through believers, to bring about God's will in the world. And so we're going to take a little bit of a tour through Scripture here as well, because we see that while we often think of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament development, that, that, that the Holy Spirit didn't come until the day of Pentecost, we saw from our Scripture reading today that that talk of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit was already happening in the Old Testament. It just happened in a new way, in a more complete way, on the day of Pentecost. So, for example, the Holy Spirit was already present in Genesis 1. It was the Spirit that was hovering over the waters in creation. So from the very first verses of the Bible, we have a reference to the Spirit of God being present in creation. And then and later on, in, in say, for example, the book of Exodus, individuals to accomplish something. So in Exodus 35, we have a reference to this individual named Bezalel, who it says was filled with the Holy Spirit. God filled him with the Spirit in order to accomplish the construction of the tabernacle. That it was God's Spirit that, that equipped and enabled this individual to make all of these wonderful uh, tapestries and instruments that were used as part of God's worship. And later on, continuing on through the Old Testament, we have judges. Uh, for example, in Judges 6 and Judges 15, we have Gideon and Samson respectively being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can deliver God's people from the hands of enemies. God used those individuals, gave them his spirit so that they could lead those people out of, out of uh, adversity. And just one more example in 1 Samuel 16, 13, we, we see that when David is anointed by the prophet Samuel as king over Israel, it says that the spirit of the Lord was upon him from that day forward. And so what we see in the Old Testament isn't, isn't across the board, everybody who trusts God has the Holy Spirit. Instead, what we see is the Holy Spirit is coming upon particular people at particular times for particular reasons. It's very specific in that way. The Holy Spirit is given to this person, but not that person. 
It's given for a temporary period of time until something is accomplished. And it's given for a particular reason, not just, in a sense, general guidance or general leading, but a specific task is accomplished through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so you see that again throughout the Old Testament. But then in the, in the prophets, like Joel, which Maria read for us, we see something beginning to develop, that God promises through those prophets that, that, that it's no longer going to be the case that the Holy Spirit is only going to show up at particular times in particular people for particular reasons. But we get this promise in the prophets that one day God is going to send his Spirit on all of his people. So, for example, in Joel chapter 2, the prophet, excuse me, God, through the prophet Joel, promises that one day he will pour out spirit on all people. And take a look again at the words in your bulletin. It's not just a few people, right, but on all people. And there's no discrimination there uh, against, uh, for, for who receives the spirit. It's your sons and your daughters, your old men, your young men, even servants, both men and women. In other words, there's no restriction there on who is able to receive the Holy Spirit. It's just the only, the only qualification is, is that it is on his people, right? I'll pour out my spirit on my servants, the Lord says. And so we have this promise that it's no longer going to be just particular people at particular times for particular reasons, but it's going to be on all of God's people. And we see that not just in the prophet Joel, but in the other prophets as well. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Prophet Isaiah 44 verse 3, for I will pour out, excuse me, pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then you have passages also like Jeremiah 31, which which don't specifically reference the Spirit, but the same kind of idea and understanding is is right there in in those words. So Jeremiah 31, beginning verse 31, says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So notice what what all of these prophets are talking about is one day in the future, God is going to do something new. He's going to do something different. And it's it's in line with what he'd been doing for particular people at particular times, but he's going to do it across the board for all believers. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to write his law on our minds and on our hearts. Even Jesus gets in on the act here, and, and Tori did a great job talking about that promise in children's chat, the promise that after Jesus goes, he's going to send his spirit to be with us. In fact, he tells his disciples in John 16, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send him to you. Right? I mean, that just, that just boggles my mind. How is it possibly better for, G, for us if Jesus goes away? How is it better if Jesus ascends to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father? Well, it's better because when he goes, he promises to send a spirit. And the spirit is not, is not restricted to a particular place or a particular time. Right? Think of Jesus in his humanity. Right? We talked last week, fully human. He was restricted to a particular place. People had to go to him to hear his teaching. The sick were brought to him to be healed. But with the spirit... He is everywhere. He is within your heart and within mine. And there's nowhere we can go, it says in Psalm 139, from his presence. And so, so in that sense, it is better because the very spirit of God now dwells in us. And we can't get closer than that. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 2, we see that promise fulfilled. The day of Pentecost, when, when God's people are gathered together, 
in an upper room. There was only probably about 120 of them on that first day. And they were waiting there because Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 5 had told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that being fulfilled. Suddenly, as they're praying, little pieces of flame descended on each person, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues and praise God. And many people were were there in Jerusalem for Pentecost, right? That was already an established holiday, and people from all over the known world were coming. I even got to joke around with Maria a little bit (laughs) before the service that she got stuck reading all those place names, right, that were listed there. There were 15 of them, right? People from all over the known world were there. And the amazing thing is they were they were all hearing the message in their own language, right? Something miraculous was happening, and it was all done so that God's name would be praised. And you know what the result of that was on that first day? Thousands of people trusted in Christ. Thousands of people believed the message of the gospel when the, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to praise God as a result of that. And so that's kind of the... the, the the quick-ish overview of, of the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. But the question for us is, what does that mean for us? Right? What does it mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? And, and how, what kind of impact that does, does that have in our own lives and in the life of the church? Well, there's three things that the Holy Spirit helps us to do. And that you saw them outlined in the faith statement. I want to just highlight those for us again here today. And the first is that the Holy Spirit helps us to know Christ. He convicts us of our sin and helps us enter into a relationship with Jesus. In John 16, verse 8, uh, this is, again, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to draw us back to God, to help us to see our need for the Lord, and to then receive what Jesus has done for us. He makes us aware of our sins so that we can confess, repent, and turn to God. Right? Left to ourselves, even in our sin, we would never even realize our need to help us to see our need so that we can turn to the Lord. And Jesus, in, John, in his famous conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, highlights that. In John 3, 3, he talks about being born again. And in John 3, 8, he talks about being born of the Spirit. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying there is that, that even our salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That Jesus accomplished our salvation through his death and resurrection, but it is the Holy Spirit that applies that work to our lives. He's the one who softens our heart towards the gospel and breathes new life into us. So the Holy Spirit helps us to know God and enter into a relationship with him. He also helps us serve God by building up and edifying his church. He equips believers with spiritual gifts for the very purpose of building up the church. And we see that, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? This is the passage I said Paul is writing to the Corinthian church to help them understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And he, and he lays out how the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to his people. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I just want to highlight a few verses for you. In verse 4, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He goes on to talk about some of the different gifts, and, and picking up again in verse 11, he says, these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Right, notice a couple things there. One, spiritual gifts are given to us by the Spirit. Right? They're not something we can just decide to do on our own or develop on our own. They are, they are gifts given by the Spirit. But they're given to us for a particular reason, right? For the common good, for the building up of the church. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but so that we may serve others in love, right? And, and, and build them up to know the Lord. And all of them ultimately are given by the Spirit uh, according to his will, so that we may serve the church. And so the third thing that the Spirit does for us is helps us to live for Christ, makes us more like Jesus. There's a famous passage in Galatians chapter 5 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? That, that to live according to the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, it, it looks like this. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
So we have these spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives us to help serve and build up the church, but then he also produces this fruit in our lives to help us live more like Christ, to grow in the family likeness. As we looked at, at, at God the Father in creation, we talked about how God has created all of us in his image, but we'll see as we go forward in the space theme and talk about sin, right, that that image has been broken in all of us because of sin. But what we see in the fruit of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit working in us is, is he begins to restore that image of God that was lost. We begin to look more and more like Jesus as we trust him more and more. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to know the Lord, helps us to serve the Lord, and helps us to live for the Lord. It's important, too, to recognize that the Holy Spirit, right, it says that he permanently indwells the believer, that he is the seal, right, of our salvation. In other words, all, all born-again believers, all people who have authentically professed Jesus as their Savior and Lord are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He's, that's the promise that was made, is that all believers, right, not just particular people, not just special people, but all believers are filled with the Spirit, And it's a matter of learning to be more dependent and obedient to that spirit working in our lives, right? And all throughout the book of Acts, the, whole, the presence of the Holy Spirit is evidence that a person is truly saved. If you read through the account of Peter and the Gentiles in Acts 10, you notice that, that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, them being filled with the Spirit, that Peter realizes that God is also saving the Gentiles, right? And not just the people of Israel, so the question we have to ask ourselves is what evidence of the Holy Spirit is in a person's life? And we already talked about it a little bit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about particular spiritual gifts, but, but the fruit of the Spirit in a person's lives. Gifts vary, and not all Christians have the same gifts, but they're given as the Spirit determines. But all Christians are called to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. All Christians, for example, are called to pray, but some are particularly gifted in intercessory prayer. All Christians are called to love, but some are particularly gifted to love sacrificially and abundantly. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit is, is genuine Christ-likeness. It's a desire to know, love, and serve the Lord, to be and do those things that we've just talked about. And of course, the Holy Spirit is a seal, a deposit, a guarantee of our redemption. He is the assurance that we are, in fact, children of God. It says that in, in Romans 8, it is His Spirit living in us that assures our spirit that we are children of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we, when you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, in other words, when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, right, God is going to guide you and direct you. You may not always, you know, of course, we're not going to be perfect from that day forward. We're going to continue to struggle with sin as we, as we try to both live for Christ and live in the reality of a world broken by sin. But if that Holy Spirit is in you, he's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. And he is the, the promise, the guarantee, the seal that when Christ returns, when we go to be with him, right, he we do, in fact, belong to him. In John chapter 6, just one more moment of reassurance for us. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells us this. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Notice what Jesus is saying there. He says, it is God's will that whoever believes and trusts in Jesus, whoever looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And what is the guarantee? What's the, what's the assurance that we have? He gives us his spirit so that we may know and believe that that is true. As we wrap up, I just want to offer up a couple points of application for us. As I said, there's a lot of ground to cover today, but we ought to make sure we, we think about what it means, again, for us. And one is that, is that because the Holy Spirit is, is the third member of the Trinity and is given to believers to know him, it is possible for us to have a personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. So it means that we need to own our faith. 
right? It is a personal decision for us to trust the Lord and to know him in that way. We can't rely on our parents, on a spouse. You can't rely on a pastor. You need to own your faith for yourself. It means we we read our Bibles, we pray, we're in community with other believers. Those are the tools that God gave us to know him better and to grow in our faith. And so we need to use them. So we're also called to serve the church. The Holy Spirit enables us to serve him, to serve others for the edification of the church. And there's not one cookie-cutter way to do that. There are, there are big ways to do that. There are small ways to do that. There are upfront ways to do that. And there are background ways to do that. But what, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you're a believer and God has given you His Holy Spirit, He's going to enable you to serve Him in your own way according to your own abilities and your availability. Right? We're not all called to do everything. Not everybody's expected to preach or teach Sunday school or lead worship. But we are expected to serve in the way that God has gifted us in the church. What has God blessed me with? What is God doing in my life that I can then turn that around and give it back to him? And finally, we're called to seek his guidance, both individually and as a church. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says that we have been given the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our lives. He gives us a spirit to guide us into all truth, to remind us of who he is, and what he's said and what he's done. And so you can ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in decision-making and everyday life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand and apply God's Word. I talked about how reading the Bible both individually and in community is, is one of the tools God has given us to know him better. Well, who better to help us understand God's Word than the author himself, right? We can, when we read the Bible, we can pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm about to read. Right? It's, he says that he will guide us into all truth and to re, help us remember what Jesus taught. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. And then when we're done reading, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us now apply, to live out what we just read. Because it is the Holy Spirit that helps us to know the Lord, to, to serve him and to live for him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you are... You have sent us your spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to live for you both this day and all of our days and be our our guide and our teacher. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we wrap up our service this morning, I encourage you to stand if you're able and sing number 257, The Comforter Has Come.
may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace. Amen.